Just a quick message before the show begins. We're a year in now and I've really enjoyed doing this and I hope you've been enjoying it too. If you have, then please like and share the content and get in touch with any thoughts and feedback and hopefully we can keep growing the show and getting more incredible guests. Thanks and back to the show. I'm Adam Gow, the DJ formerly and sometimes currently known as Waxon. Welcome to the Once a DJ podcast. DJing and DJ culture have been a huge part of my life for better or worse. They've given me a massive buzz at times and loads of stress at others and taught me a load of valuable lessons along the way. On this podcast I speak to DJs from around the world who've made the names when it was just about skills and selection, not social media followers. We'll discuss their journey through Ascendancy and what part it plays in their life now. Whether they're still on the scene, said goodbye to the decks forever, or still get a sneaky mix in when life gives them the chance. Whatever road they've travelled, they were always once a DJ. Okay, so I'm here with turntablist, party DJ, VJ, producer, and much more DJ Yoda. Thanks so much for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's my pleasure. And hello. So let's get cracking then. Um, so as I may have mentioned the other day, what we're going to look at on this is the before, the middle, the later life of DJing, obviously later life's relative, but basically where it sits in these different parts of our lives. Um, so the first thing for me is just looking at how you got into DJing. Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like I've told this story many times, but I'll tell it to you again. Let's see if I can add a different twist on it. Um, my parents were both in the music industry. My dad was a manager of, of pop acts and my mum worked for various record producers and my dad literally kept his record collection in my bedroom. So I was surrounded by records, um, and I was at gigs and music video shoots and all this stuff as like a six-year-old seven-year-old so surrounded by top of the pops and everything um but as soon as i was old enough to kind of develop my own tastes in music uh the first thing that i kind of latched on to was well at the time in the late 80s there was this kind of trend of uh most pop songs having a kind of hip-hop remix and that inevitably meant a lot of kind of samples from kind of kitsch old movies or cartoons or 50s stuff um, scratching it and stuff, you would get it with like, uh, um, well, it was the likes of like S Express and Bomb the Bass and Cold Cart and all these people that were working in that kind of bass world. And that's the stuff that really jumped out to me the sound of scratching and the sound of samples coming from all disparate sources. Um, so I started to try and make my own tapes um, at home. I kind of mess around with my parents' hi fi and broke it eventually like trying to learn how to scrap <laughs> yeah. this was obviously like pre youtube and internet and even pre vhs videos teaching you how to dj so i was really out out there on my own trying to figure this stuff out i didn't even have friends that, that was into it really i mean i remember being around at my mates and he had um fog on the tine and turtle power yeah. with the 245s yeah. i remember him having yeah i had turtle power for 45 for sure might have even had double <laughs> thinking in the right way already at that age love it um so i think we were just trying to scratch turtle power what were you trying to scratch uh rolling rap rap rapping um <laughs> yeah uh, just like a uh, lot of kind of comedy hip-hop stuff and just like pop uh, basically whatever i could get my hands on at that time and it was just trying to kind of like trying to work out how to sound like a DJ and it meant getting it really wrong for a long time in fact like I reckon I probably waste not wasted but like a good year or two of doing totally the wrong thing um because no one was showing me any better but I kind of still maintain that that is useful and a good way to go about things because it's not useless you learn what sounds bad <laughs> which is useful it's, it's important to know what not to do. Yeah, and, and I think if you're not learning in an academic way, you probably learn to trust your ear more. Like I noticed exactly. it when I learned guitar, I knew a little bit of music theory. I learned a certain amount of guitar and didn't really push on from there because 
I couldn't be asked to learn any more sophisticated scales and things. Right. And I didn't really want to put the work in. But equally, because I'd done a little bit of theory, it was damning as well because I knew too much to just forget it and just trust the sound. Yeah. I think that, like, you know, there's various ways of going about things. You can do it whatever way fits you. But I've always found the same thing. Like, I tried to learn harmonica at one point and had exactly what you just described with guitar. I just reached a point where I was like, the theory is ruining this for me. It's not the way that I want to go about doing it. Um, so DJing, yeah, I just kind of like felt my own way. And then I think because of that, came up with my own way of doing things that's that's just me. You know, that's my style. Yeah. And that really helped me to kind of like, because I think if you try to learn now off YouTube and from DJ courses and all these kind of multitude of ways that are, that are out there to teach people to DJ, you could, they're going to teach you the way that they do it. And then you're going to be like them. I mean, it yeah. seems pretty obvious out loud, but um, if you figure stuff out your own way, you're going to have this like weird way of doing stuff that will make you you. Um, so I think that there was some benefit to that. Um, have you seen that guy who's like a clone of Qbert? He dresses like him, he scratches like him, and obviously being able to scratch like Qbert's incredible, but it's also a bit like, I don't know, like what's the point? It's also like one of the one of the kind of like basic, fundamental like things about hip-hop is you don't bite you don't like you don't copy anyone else's style you you, you do you um yeah so you know that's you know it, it was a good way to start i think uh and then eventually i kind of met people locally that um that dj'd and people that i still know now and managed to kind of like have scratch club with friends and practice together and make tapes and everything so you know but nice. having that, that first bit alone i think was valuable um and then I made up, um, I made tapes at home and kind of copied them up for mates and everything. And I was like copying up 10 tapes and then 20 tapes and then 50 tapes. And by the time it got to that level, I was like, I took them into record shops um, in London and then started sending them to record shops around the country. Where was it London that you grew up in? Yeah, I grew up in, in North London. So I was in Soho at the weekends at the record stores at, when it was Mr. Bongo's and all the other ones around there. Nice. So all those places would sell my tapes. Um, and then, yeah, I'd kind of start to figure out, oh, well, you had like this this shop in um, Bristol was a good one. This shop in Manchester was a good one. And I would start sending tapes everywhere. And that's kind of what started me. So it was really like making mixtapes that started me rather than DJing in clubs or anything like that. Right. Because I always thought it was like the uni days. Um, so how old would you have been when you were doing the tapes? Teenager um pre-university so like yeah 17 18 um then when i got to university uh i went to warwick in the midlands um that's where i really started getting my experience djing in clubs because there was a, a the thursday nights there at that university was like a kind of at the time it was acid jazz night which really dates it massively um but i would i was a resident at that and there was I think that being at a, a uni like Warwick, which wasn't very cool, actually meant that there was no competition for me in terms of like other <laughs> hip hop DJs. So if I'd have gone to you know Brighton or Bristol or Manchester or somewhere, I think there would have been a lot more people trying to do what I was doing. But because I wasn't really competing against anyone, I had that space to be a resident at that Thursday night and I would be warm up for all the guest DJs and just basically like learn how to play in front of a crowd. That was a really good three-year learning experience. I learned more doing that than I did doing my uni course. So so were you very much strictly hip-hop at that point? Yeah, I think at that point, up until certainly the 90s, I didn't want to know about anything other than hip-hop. I was really, yeah. really narrow-minded. I was like, if it has guitars, I don't want to know. If it has like an <laughs> electronic house-type beat, I don't want to know. I just was blinkers on only hip-hop towards the end of the 90s when i felt like hip-hop started to drop a little bit in terms of quality um i started to kind of explore other types of music uh and then work my way backwards with a lot of different types of music as well and that's when it all kind of opened up to me and yeah since then i kind of like i consider myself a hip-hop dj in terms of style in in other words like quick mincing and scratching and like yeah. using turntable tricks and everything but 
oftentimes I won't play any rap music or I can play, I feel like I can play any kind of music, but like in that hip hop style. So I do yeah. like, I go out of my way, in fact, to play like as wide a array of music as I, I can. So I will do a whole set of 1930s music or a whole set of just movie themes or a whole set of kids music or just anything I can think of. Um, but that kind of like the fundamentals of the way that I play is like a hip hop DJ. Yeah, because I think that comes through with your mixes as well. Um, just your style with them, the layering and everything. Yeah, I just I try and play anything that I love and try not to label it in terms of like, oh, I should play this kind of thing, I shouldn't play this kind of thing. I just try and stay authentic. If I love something, I'll play it. Yeah, that can really get in the way, can't it? I even find it sometimes if I'm doing mixes, I'll, I'll think, right, I'm going to do a mix of X or, or Y and then it... If you, ha if you are kind of a quite open format in the way that you DJ, it is helpful to theme various mixes because then it gives you some kind of boundaries to work within and that's cool. Mm. But in terms of like stuff that I would play as a DJ, that's where I try and stay completely open in my mind in terms of like, you know, I think there's probably stuff that I play that other DJs might not because they would worry that it's not cool. Yeah. Whereas my thinking is like, if you like it and it's cool, it doesn't matter what it is. And there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure or I hate that, that idea of guilty pleasures. It's like ridiculous. Just if you like something, you can own that and like it. Yeah. I, I think I, I feel like between around 16 and 25, when you're finding I think that's a big part of when you're finding your own identity as a person. Um, I think that's when a lot of these kind of guilty pleasure concepts is really prevalent because you do feel ashamed about saying you like a certain thing. It's only when you get to late 20s that people go, no, I like Girls Aloud or whatever it is, which as a hip-hop head, you're going to go... Pff. You know, pop is pop. Is pop. It's popular, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. Just, it's really obvious stuff, but like, you know, some. I was really interested in watching the documentary that's been on Channel 5 recently about Stock Aitken and Waterman because it's kind of uh, I feel like there's like a reassessing going on of the stuff that they made in the 80s which at the time was very much uh, dismissed by kind of musos as oh it's cookie cutter as they just do the same thing again and again and again but you know given some space and some time it's like well hang on a second how many hit records did they write? How that wasn't without skill, you know. Like it's, yeah. it, it's it's not to be sniffed at. It's pretty impressive, and I loved a lot of that stuff, and still play a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people are sniffy about it. Yeah, because didn't um, didn't Pete Waterman kind of earn his stripes as a soul DJ? Yeah, they were all they all came from that background, and they all came from uh, a background of respectable good music, and you know, I just. You know, I, I, I find it hard to kind of like, I think if you've got negative thoughts about anyone doing something creative, you should just shut, shut up about it and keep it to yourself because it doesn't really help to put that out into the world. You don't, not everything is for everyone. If you don't like something, you can just shut up about it and find something you do like. Uh, so that yeah. is my... <laughs> I, I've, I've had the day job of marketing and advertising and you can look at campaigns that another agency's made and you can rip them to pieces, but can you do something better yourself? It's a way different ask. And it's the same as social media. Like, social media can get tiring, especially Twitter, because it does seem like a bit of a venting place for people to be like, this is rubbish, that's rubbish. Yeah. Whereas you could just be the absolute opposite of that and the world would be nicer. <laughs> yeah. So what, what years were you at uni? Um, oh, God. Uh, I have to do maths to tell you that. I, I, I feel like... I finished in 99 or 2000, but I might be making that up. You were writing for Fat Lace, weren't you, and Hip Hop Connection. When did that start? Yeah, that was all around that time as well, yeah. Um, I would just go to all the kind of big hip hop gigs, and that's how I fell in with all the Fat Lace guys and the Hip Hop Connection guys. Uh, and I was always thinking about writing as something that I wanted to do anyway, so I did a lot of music journalism, wrote for a few different magazines. Um, so that was all happening at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so I got your cut and paste volume one and I've been listening back to it today and it's so tight, like the, the scratching on it and, 
and just how the I, mixes are put together. I, I don't ever, I've not gone back to listen to any of those things. I don't ever go back to listen to anything that I've done. Um, yeah. But I'm sure that it, it would pain me to do that because I'd probably think the exact opposite of what you just said. I'd like be dissecting the scratches and thinking, oh God, this is not at all tight. And also the way that that was recorded, that and the next two cut and paste mixes were pre-computers, pre-me having a computer. So I didn't, I did the whole thing on a four track cassette recorder. Um, really? Yeah. There's no like editing on a screen and like tidying things up and everything. It was all just like on it, recorded onto cassette and just play and record same way that you would make pause tapes with cassettes, which is That's really a, a, a very old school way of doing it now. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. I mean, just whatever works you do and you just get used to whatever, you know, equipment you have at your disposal and. That was, I got faster at the four track tapes. Like that's just, that was the flow that I worked with. <laughs> yeah. Um, the format's interesting. It's like when, um, when there was this revelation, when, um, Ninth Wonder was making beats in Fruity Loops yeah. and it was just kind of looked down upon, but it's like, it's making great beats. Whatever works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever works. Yeah. So yeah. So my first touch point was, was the cut and paste volume one and what I loved about it, as well as it being tight, because that was just when I was getting into scratching. Dang. I've just got my first turntable and my first mixer. I didn't get two turntables. Who needs two? And, um, and I've, yeah, it, it was really tight and it was really varied, but it's also really fun. And um, I think we talked before this and, and you said it was never anything kind of intentional to bring that sort of fun and the nostalgia because hearing you like doing things like um, playing things like the A-Team theme, things like that for me were just so on point at the time because this is when I'd just gone to uni and and you're, you're taking this step into adulthood, the first step into adulthood, I guess. And at the same time, Universal uh, re-releasing all the A-Team on video and stuff. So you've got this way to cling on to your childhood a little bit. And then you had things like that coming on. You know, you've got that on with like a big electro beat under it and it's just all this fun thing that's, that's really, really um, bringing a lot of fun into hip hop. Yeah. Well, for me, it was, I was just trying to do fun stuff, you know, and there's, there's really no more overthinking it than that. I was like, is this fun or is it boring? If it's boring, what's the point of doing it? <laughs> so, yeah, totally. I would try to make mixes and use samples that would bring a smile to my own face. So it was enjoyable to make them. And I just, it, it sounds like, deceptively simple i guess but that's that's all it was i just try to do funny stuff and stuff that amused me at the end of the day like you're making music for people playing music for people it's supposed to be entertainment it's not supposed to be like po-faced it's not supposed to be an education you're supposed to be like having fun with it or helping people have fun with it at least on one level uh and certainly making tapes like that it was like what stuff would be cool to hear and a lot of the kind of um, humor comes in ju comes in juxtaposing things. So stuff that you might not consider to be very hip hop <laughs> in its essence, and then mixing it with something that's very hip hop, like putting those two things together is funny to me and still is, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think it's good because it flies in the face of a lot of, um, a lot of the sort of hip hop attitude where it's got to be it's got to be serious or braggadocious or something like that. Yeah, for years I did think that. I looked at a lot of people in the world of hip-hop and thought, why are you so serious? It's probably important to point out that, like, I come from a white middle-class background, so I yeah. can look forward to, to you know, to, to to most of the people working in hip-hop. It means something way more serious to them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm kind of aware of myself within that, you know? It's, I don't think I can look around at other people and say, why are you so serious about hip-hop? Uh, perhaps because you grew up around like violence and drugs and guns and you know like sure it, it, it can be very serious for a lot of people it can be a lot of things to, to many different people um but it is a luxury to have grown up you know in a safe nurturing loving environment and not be like you know, have major problems with police or anything that i can be like oh, let's have some fun with it but you know uh so i think it's you know it's important to note that and be aware of myself in the grand scheme of things yeah definitely but that said you know like a lot of my 
you know, my favorite rapper growing up was Biz Marquis, um, mm. who was like the comedian of hip hop. You know, there's this Facebook comedy in hip hop and this, this space, you know, hip hop's big enough that it can incorporate everything from like, you know, militant, like political stuff to religious stuff to sex stuff to whatever it is. Um, but the stuff that appealed to me was the people that, that took themselves, um, with a sense of humor and brought some personality and fun to the, to the game. I, I always like MCs like red man or just people that like had big personalities and, you know, good punchlines and were just, you know, kept it interesting and entertainment. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying Wunter DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with SureShot Shop to create some Wunter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from wunterdj.bigcartel.com. And if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code ONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. Yeah, so so then with, with the Adventures of DJ Yoda album, um, on that, you know, you get to work with Bismarcky and Jungle Brothers and people like that. And this isn't, I think nowadays it feels like people are easier to reach. Um, celebrities are easier to reach, if that's the, the best word to use for it. Um, what was it like trying to organize working with someone like Bismarcky at that time? I suppose it's before Yo Gabba Gabba and stuff like that, but still it's Bismarcky. Uh, yeah, that was, so this was my first production album. I'd done a lot of mixtapes up to that point, but I was like, okay, and I'm going to make my own music. And I had a list of people that I wanted to work with. And part of the, most of the mission was just tracking down everyone on that list, getting to speak to them, talk about music and get to that point. And so that was the kind of, the task was as much that as making the music. Um, and there was a different story with everyone that featured on that album, but for Biz, we kind of connected over really specific um, kind of collections of stuff because he was really big into his breakfast cereal, which yeah. and collected breakfast cereals, which me too, <laughs> like just like on a level with him on that. And then he also kind of like, um, he was really into the mixtapes that I was making and would like call me up and ask me questions about parts of the tapes that I'd done and stuff. And was also really into kind of like kids records like 70s kids records sesame street and stuff like that um so we had a kind of uh in the venn diagram of stuff like the stuff in the middle that was that was where we met minds and yeah. really kind of um so we ended up on the phone quite a lot just and then swapping records and tapes back and forth in the post and so i did get to do two songs with him one was inspired by breakfast cereal and the other was inspired by uh fat albert haunted house kind of halloween vibes and like kids cartoon kind of thing um so yeah it was definitely like it was a dream come true because like i said he was my favorite rapper growing up and it was just once i'd done those two songs with him i felt a little bit like i don't know what to do now like that's all i was ever trying <laughs> to achieve out of music so it was it was an incredible thing to have happened for sure yeah because do, do you think that that time that you had when you were around top of the pops and things like that did did that get you used to seeing seeing famous people and and then did it mean that you had a bit more cool about yourself when you were first connecting with biz yeah i think that's probably fair to say because i think that um if you haven't had that experience and you don't know better 
to be fawning over people or driving them mad is like exactly the wrong way to be dealing with them. Uh, and I probably did have that kind of attitude of just like being cool with people rather than annoying them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's a hard one. Um, just as a note on that album, the, the track that really stands out to me is the Princess Superstar one. Oh yeah, I just think it's it's different and it's just it's really cool. I just really like the the angle of it. Yeah, I wanted to do something that um, I was also always into, like very old jazz, like nineteen twenties, thirties, forties, and it's such old old man music. <laughs> that song's mm. all about like being into hip hop and becoming an old age pensioner, um, yeah, and some quick stuff from that era. So, and and she was really good fun for that exact same reason that I explained. Just like she seemed to me someone that had a really good sense of humor about herself and made me laugh um and she did on that song too god i haven't heard that song for a long time give me a listen <laughs> i won't, I won't. <laughs> um guess some of this guess some of that spotify money <laughs> yeah 0. 0. 0.003 thing <laughs> uh yeah but yeah that that was a really good one so um around that time as well there was um a dj battle in derby that you came and judged at that's where I'm based, by the way. Right. And that was where um, DJ Angelo won that. I don't know if you're aware of Angelo. I'm aware of Angelo, yeah. Yeah, he was the winner of that one, so it's a good bit of judging. And I was just there in the crowd watching. It was the first time I'd seen Angelo as well, so I was really taken aback. He's super talented. Super talented. Yeah, really good. I'm hoping to get him on in a few weeks. He said he's, he said he's keen. He's just a busy, busy man. Um, yeah. But in that, yeah, that was another one where... For me, I saw you, you did like this little medley sort of routine of TV themes. You had like Blue Peter and stuff like that. And at the time, I was just like, ah, it's like mind-blowing. <laughs> I just love TV. I love movie and TV themes because, I mean, okay, if you want to take a like zoom out and get a bit kind of more existential about it, for me, the thing that's good or valuable about music and films is that they can take you somewhere. Like in your mind, you can be taken totally out of the place that you are. And if you listen to like... um gangster rap you're in compton if you listen to like cumbia you're in south america you know like it takes you somewhere and yeah. so that kind of like use of music in film and tv it immediately takes you to that place that tv program or that film uh so it's like a shortcut like it will fast forward you to that and it's a good way of doing it um so i love um soundtracks and i love including stuff from movies in in dj mixes and with the video stuff that I do too, like just clips from movies using samples from films in the same way that you would sample bits of music. Have you got any um, any real favourite TV themes that people might not know? Uh, I mean, it's a deep question for me. <laughs> My favourite TV theme is Twin Peaks. Right. Like that's that's definitely my number one. But uh, deep ones, oh, yeah, it just goes on forever. I, love, I like a lot of the... Um, 70s and 80s stuff that's like yeah that a massive revelation for me um which will probably be no surprise to you given some of the things on your mixes is angela bob james oh yeah taxi. amazing yeah. yeah that that was one of my first one of the things that first revealed to me the whole sort of smooth jazz jazz funk yeah cti sort of side of things and have you ever heard uh, Cab Fair by Souls of Mischief? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's just samples that. But I'm, uh, Bob James is amazing. Massive Bob James band. Yeah, he's got a really weird relationship with sampling, hasn't he? Well, I think he just came around to it. I think he, I think he didn't understand it for a long time. And then someone finally sat him down and explained to him his importance. It, like, is unbeknownst to him how important he'd become in a whole different genre of music than what he was working in. It, it must be strange just realizing that you've got this incredible legacy that you didn't quite quite know that you had. Yeah, uh, it must be cool. I mean, I, it's probably must. Yeah, I would have thought it would be cool to find that out. Yeah. Do Do you know? Um, is it WKRP Cincinnati? That sounds. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I've got the. I've got a a record with all uh, TV themes on it. It's on that. I just can't kind of hear it in my head. I know I've got it. It's give Give that a listen. It's pretty good. Yeah, about someone's kind of someone's journey of growth, but yeah, with a bit of a love boat esque sort of disco shuffle to it. Yeah, nice. 
The other, here's, here's a random TV theme that I sometimes play when I'm DJing in clubs is the IT crowd. Right, okay. Yeah, it's a good one. If you go back to it, you're like, oh, this is pretty funky, actually. You wouldn't expect this to be good, but it's... Yeah. I'll have to check that out at volume. Yeah, at volume. Because, yeah, that's one I would not expect. Yeah. Um. So while we're on films and things, then, is is that what led you to then go into the, um, into, like, the VJ and down that route? Yeah, well, I think the thing is that those mixtapes that I was making pre-cut and paste, they all had audio samples of films over the beats. And that's what I was doing, like getting bits of Star Wars and Scarface and just anything that, any movie that I watched and enjoyed and finding the good bits and putting them over beats. Um, and then the technology evolved that you could actually mix and scratch the movies themselves. It was from DVD originally. Um, yeah. So as soon as that came out, I was like, wow, I can do exactly what I've been doing, but you can be seeing it as well. So it kind of made sense for me to to do that. And then the technology only just kind of advanced and got better and better. Um, and now when I DJ, I can DJ with exactly the same setup that I would have for an audio DJ set. But if there's a screen in a venue, then I can make it all video as well. Um, so when I'm loading up my computer with the stuff that I'm going to play when I'm DJing out, I'm as much thinking about uh, music videos or bits from films or TV programs or any YouTube or any kind of like viral crap that we all see every day on social media. Yeah. I've got a different part of my brain that's like, that would be good to play in a, you know, a festival. So is it about mid to late 2000s you start doing the VJ in? I'm terrible on dates, as you've probably worked out already. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever the first thing to come out with the DVJs, the Pioneer DVJs, that was the first thing that allowed you to to scratch a video. Right. But as soon as they came out, but even before I, that, I was doing shows where I kind of re-soundtracked movies. So they show the whole movie, and I would work out a DJ set that worked behind the whole film. Oh, nice! So I did that with um, Ferris Bueller's and The Goonies. So who appro- who approached you to do those then? If you don't mind me asking. I don't know, <laughs> like whatever venue it was that I did that in, there was right, cinema. Right, yeah. So, so it was it was cinemas that were asking you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember right. doing. Oh, nice. Yeah, Liverpool, maybe. My my memory's dreadful. I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you must have done so many gigs in so many different places. I've got a word document. I don't know why it's a word document, but a word document <laughs> with every gig that I've ever done listed. Whenever I get booked for a gig, I just typed it in that word document, and it's like, yeah, getting up to sixty pages long of Flipping just. It. And so if you, t- yeah, if you would say, yeah, where did you do that? That wits that that Ferris Bueller's thing, twenty two years ago. Okay, <laughs> I feel like I don't no idea, but it's probably on that list. Yeah, I, I guess for you, these sort of touch points that are in my mind are so probably so insignificant in re- in, in yours relation to your journey. Well, judging a DJ composition in Derby, I've got zero recollection of. I thought it would be one of your top three. <laughs> what could be better? <laughs> <laughs> but so so how how did the gigging develop then? Did it did it become a lot more about festivals than hip hop nights, for example? Uh, eventually, but that that took a long time. I mean, after university, the first thing I did was set up my own club night in London. Um, and that ran for a good few years. It was called Spread Love. And I did that mm. with uh, uh, James Liebens, uh Rob, who you know, DJ Go. There's a bunch of us. So they became like the underground hip-hop, like central London thing. So every week we'd have guests. And in that era of kind of independent rap, whoever was in London from the States at the time would play there. So we had everyone from that scene that you can imagine. So did that give you some of the connections for say like people under the stairs and people like that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it did. Um, and it was, it, yeah, it was great for that, for like building a community around people that were DJing and doing hip hop stuff. It was really hard work promoting though. I always found that a really like impossible to understand skill it just felt like the more effort that i put into it the less people turned up and vice versa i just couldn't get my head around it um 
I'm not a natural business person or uh, promoter like that. Um, but anyway, it was plenty of um, more of the 10,000 hours, you know, of like just putting in yeah. the time in front of crowds and understanding what works and what doesn't work. Um, and then from there, I would get booked for other hip hop clubs all over Europe, everything, you know, like I just got busy from that point. Um, there was like a lot of student union type stuff at the time that I was doing. Um, and then it took years to the kind of like, because the, the festival kind of scene that we know now that really developed over the last 15 years or so, I reckon it didn't really exist at that point, but, um, you know, I would have done the first few festivals, all of those kind of like small festivals that became big. Yeah. That was, I was there right from the start of that. And now it's like, you know, 500 festivals every summer in the UK. Um, and it's, it's just, it's a whole industry that kind of came out of nothing. Um, and that's most, most of my work now, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I still do all kinds of stuff. I do, um, a lot of more things like film festivals or food festivals or, you know, more cultural kind of events than I do clubs because the kind of music that I play now is probably less suited for 19 year olds at two in the morning and more suited for like 40 year old with kids at 6 PM. So, you know, that's like the, the niche that I found for myself and very happily. So, yeah, I think as you get older, sometimes it can be nice for your body clock. I, I was speaking to someone the other day who does like two, afternoon gigs you know like rob does his afternoon gigs on a on a weekend and i thought yeah that sounds all right that yeah i i just couldn't do it i couldn't um yeah at age 45 i couldn't be out there at three in the morning playing at clubs but also just because it's not my that club music isn't my passion you know i, do, I couldn't fake getting excited about um the kind of music that people want to hear in that situation I just want to play music that I love and that's luckily that's kind of chimes with the people that want to come and see me play and the kind of places that they do. So it's all very organic. I don't think you can bake any of this stuff. Yeah, I think people are a bit more almost forever young now. Like when our parents were the age we are now, they probably wouldn't be as in that same mindset of going out to see a band. No, and I think, yeah, I think it's like it, it's unprecedented to have djs that are 60 years old you know but now we we live in a world where that that is the case and and that's cool you know that's great great for me yeah definitely um hey guys i hope you're enjoying Winter dj i wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on so i've teamed up with sure shot shop to create some Wunter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from wunterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code WONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. So something else I meant to ask about earlier when I was talking about the cut and paste is like the branding. Uh, were you doing like the graphics and things for that? Because that really adds into like it's really cohesive with the sound so uh, it wasn't me but it was uh barry who worked on fat lace so it was all right. within the fat lace crew and uh barry totally understood what i do and we we talked about it and tried to get across visually what i was doing in terms of the music uh, it's montage basically you know it's um 
collage and montage, <laughs> literally cutting and pasting. Um, and I was, yeah, yeah, I was happy with the look of the, the cut and paste mixes. I felt like they did get across the sound of those mixes for sure. Did he help in any way when you started getting further down with the VJ in? No, I found all different people to collaborate with for that. And I, I constantly do as well, work with everything from like animators to graphic designers. And and uh, it, the way that I've always worked is just reach out there, like meet as many people as possible and exchange skills wherever you can and get bits and pieces from everywhere. And it is like a great big glorious mess, all my video stuff of just you know, I met this one guy 15 years ago in Argentina who helped me like <laughs> do this yeah. one bit of graphic and then, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's all bits and pieces in that true cut and paste way. Awesome. So then something we mentioned when we chatted the other day was about lockdown and, and you quite quickly said that lockdown was a pretty terrifying experience. Well, when you like it, when DJing becomes your, um, sole source of income uh and all the live stuff stopped it was scary in terms of like well how am i actually gonna like <laughs> make any money um so that was uh, and also just to have lived that lifestyle for over 20 years of traveling every week you know just physically being somewhere in a different city every week without a break really and to suddenly yeah. stop and be still was was that was terrifying in itself just catching up on all the crazy places that I've been and stuff that I've done in that last two decades. That was, I remember just sitting in the garden and just taking a trip down the, around the world in my head, just like, cause I hadn't done it. Just like thinking, oh, I was in China and I was in South Africa and I was in Brazil. And yeah. like, I, when you, when you don't stop, when you carry on week after week, you don't have time to process any of that. Um, so lockdown was bad. Um, but then I got into like um streaming and you know I, I couldn't stop djing like at all and the fact yeah. that there's this kind of like culture developed of um people streaming online was really great so i did that did a lot of stuff that i've been meaning to do for years like selling records that i didn't want and you know just sorting stuff out so we got through it thank god so were you doing discogs oh yeah still am i like i put i went through all, all the record collection and kind of sorted the wheat from the chaff and about a third of it went up on discogs um and it's still drip 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 selling <laughs> week by week yeah as we speak which is it's satisfying it's really nice to just uh cut down the record collection to just the stuff that i actually want i did it a few years ago and and i cut down from obviously it'll be nowhere near your record collection i probably had about 2000 and i probably got it down to about say 200 if that wow. probably about 200 yeah it's impressive and it was very much like I, I don't really cook but for some reason i was like well i'd bought a lot of stuff for sampling that i'd never got around to sampling i'd more or less stopped djing which i've kind of gone back into now but i just thought would i put this on when i was when i'm cooking yeah that's that was my criteria too i was just thinking is this a record that i want to play when i'm like sat on my veranda when i'm 70 yeah. years old um and a lot of the stuff that I had was just records that I got for free in the early 2000s and just, you know, just hip hop that I wouldn't ever play again, you know, stuff like that. So it was, yeah, that was really satisfying. And also like, even in the last couple of years, for the first time I've got a record player in my lounge at home Yeah, and it's totally changed my idea of a record collection. I'm like, well, all this, all these records that I've built up are like records for use you know like for using for djing none of them were bought yeah. for playing just from start to finish on both sides and then i start to think about like well what records do you want for that that's a totally different record collection that i need so it's just uh yeah adjusting the whole thing yeah i've started this little wants list now and it and it's quite small it's not necessarily cheap but it's not super expensive but yeah it's very different it's, it's things that i wouldn't necessarily use for djing but then some things you get and you think, I got a really good deal on this, but do I really want to take it out of the house to DJ with it? Yeah, that's a different thing. And not that I've even taken records out particularly in the last few years. I mean, I get booked for the odd kind of like all vinyl set and I've got a box of records that I like to take with for that. But 
the records don't leave the studio you know they're just they're all there yeah so do you do you still buy with a view to sampling yeah yeah not like in a big way just every now and then and it's just fun to have a dig if you're somewhere that's good for that but i, I don't go out of my way to do that anymore and i only ever really buy records if it's like something that i can't find online yeah you see, i don't i don't buy too many online i like i like going and it's the unknown yeah like i just i find different music when i go into a shop it's it's rare that i've got the time because really to dig is a very time consuming thing you really got to spend hours yeah and i don't find myself with that much time very often but if i do and i'm somewhere weird where you know i'm interested to see what they've got it does happen i just i was where was i i was somewhere in i was in portugal last year and just had a day and just you know found some good record stores and i was like oh that's satisfying just to plan that time and like come back with some bits that was cool yeah awesome so how how are things now now that lock now that lockdown's kind of been and gone and and things are, are, are in some sort of normality now yeah good yeah i just you know if i'm back in my groove you know like <laughs> it's always the way that summer's much busier than the rest of the year but there's like you know, I'm, I'm DJing the amount that I want to be DJing. Um, winter tends to be quite dead, and I use that time for recording, and I was I've yeah. been really productive this winter, so that's been really satisfying. And now we're just getting back into busy season again. So, yeah, things are good. Yeah, and you've got that podcast record as well, haven't you, with the... It's a really interesting concept that I'm going to get a copy with the, the kind of golden ticket sort of approach to it. Yeah, that's all through. Well, my record label is is Lewis Recordings, and through them, that's that they released one, uh, the podcast on vinyl, and also did my last two albums. Uh, and it's 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 like a comfortable home for me for releasing stuff. It's definitely the, the right place. Yeah, because just just for anyone who's listening, it's effectively it's a podcast that's been pressed onto vinyl, and there's a few different editions with the opportunity to win some pretty cool collectibles like gift bags, things like that. Yeah, exactly. There's action figures and all kinds of stuff. I, do, I put all my old mixes on uh, USBs as well, so you can now buy them from my band camp on a kind of cassette-shaped USB. Um, so just finding like cool ways to have collectible stuff, you know, that's like that's what I would want, so that's the way that we do it. Yeah, and I, th I think it's, it's a tricky one now because people are just so used to, right, I spend £15 a month on Spotify, I'm contributing to artists. But I think if you can, can find other ways to do something special that can pay the artist, I think that's really good. Exactly. That's the thinking, totally. Because that must have been a thing for a lot of artists as well during during lockdown, just this, just knowing how many people are just investing on Spotify to listen to their music as well. Well, I just, you know, I know from someone that's got like five or six albums out, of the money that I see from Spotify is not uh, in any way significant or relevant to my life it just doesn't doesn't pay for for living a life it's, yeah yeah it's not a way to make money yeah cool well i'll let you get off because i'm sure you're probably pretty busy um but just before i do can i just ask are there any key bits of advice that you'd give to anyone who's looking to dj or any key learnings that you've taken from it that have just been really valuable outside of djing yeah, I mean, I've probably kind of touched on this as we've been chatting anyway, but like to me, the main thing has always been to stay as true to yourself as you can, um, which means not jumping on bandwagons, <laughs> like whatever. I've seen so many people in a 25-year career of DJing who have just kind of latched onto something that was cool at the time that then renders them completely irrelevant three, four years later. So I, I've done it. I think a good job of like navigating between all these different kind of um, trendy scenes that pop up and just being my own thing. I feel like a bit of an island in the world of everything that goes on. I'm not particularly um, allied to a certain crowd within music or even a certain sound. Um, so that would be my main thing is like if you can just be yourself, then you are a unique snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, that's just made me think of one more thing, actually. Go ahead. Do you think it's easier or harder for a DJ starting now because people have so much access to so much different music? Does a DJ have to have a further spread of musical knowledge, do you think, or do you think people are more receptive to a DJ that's in a specific lane? Everyone can access everything now. The technology is so much better and the like access to different uh, music that you want to use as well has completely changed to when I started. So I think you have to balance that with like quite a clear vision of what you're trying to do. If you don't want everything, if you like the two things you're trying to avoid are one, sounding like everyone else, um, and two, to sound like a hot mess with no... <laughs> with no focus because it's one thing to be like okay well I'm not going to do whatever else we do I'm just going to play this random thing this random thing this random thing but if it doesn't all make sense together then it's a hot mess so yeah. I think really like the thing to work on if you are a DJ starting now is like what am I trying to achieve here that no one else has done before what's my idea what's my focus what am I trying to achieve with all this um, so I think that is a good, valuable thing to be spending time thinking about. Um, and then you can do your best to try and kind of like realize that in whatever way works for you. Awesome. If that's not too vague. <laughs> no, that's absolutely great. Um, do you want to just give a shout out to your social handles where people can find you online? Yeah, it's just DJ Yoda UK on everything. So whatever you want to use, I'm at DJ Yoda UK. Simple and consistent. Awesome. That's great then. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, man. That was a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Once a DJ podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback or any suggestions for guests, please just get in touch with us at onceadjpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at Once a DJ Podcast. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Oh, that was nice.